0: And welcome to Light on Light Through, episode 343. My review of the peripheral, episodes 1.3 through 1.5. Well, it's been a while since I posted an episode of this podcast. I've been busy working on the radio play For my alternate history Beatles short story, It's Real Life, I'll have news about that soon, in the next couple of weeks. But here's my review of these three excellent episodes of The Peripheral. Let's start with 1.3, and let me first say that I really like the name Jon Snow in this episode. And John spelled J-O-H-N, which is the way we spell John. Not exactly the way, though, that the name Jon Snow was spelled in the one and only Game of Thrones. So let's uh, look a little bit more at this episode. First, as I said, Jon Snow is a great name in our real history, which may be the history of the peripheral story, too. Since there's time travel in this story, its history is changeable, so you never know. But in our real history, John Snow, J-O-H-N, was a British doctor who lived mostly in the first half of the 19th century and he helped put anesthesia on the map of crucial medical treatments, as well as get a handle on how to blunt the cholera epidemics that were really wreaking havoc around the world back then. There's always a pandemic of one sort or another endangering our species. Now, anesthesia, if you think about it, is deeply related to the transportation of consciousness which is at the core of the peripheral. In a very real sense, Flynn is unconscious in 2030 when she's visiting 2100 in cyberspace. She's in a state akin to dreaming. Plus, we already saw the role that deadly illnesses and their treatment plays in this narrative with Flynn's mother in one of the earlier episodes of The Peripheral. Now in episode 1.3, Flynn cleverly guesses that where, quote, snow falls, unquote, could refer to where snow falls, as in John, that is snow with a capital S. And as an added bonus to this play on words, we have the acoustic reference to the hero of Game of Thrones that some people hate, the one and only John Snow. That again is J-O-N, snow. A lot of snow here. Don't worry, I won't snow you with any of this. Apologies for the pun. Anyway, I actually first thought that the John, J-O-N, was the snow being talked about in this episode of The Peripheral. What a difference an H makes! Anyway, in addition to all that, the action really picks up after John Snow with an H is named. We get Flynn and Charisse in a nice battle and see Flynn pick up a little snowy figure, not a snowman. Now, years ago, I went up to the attic of my house where a new roof was being put in after a hurricane had taken part of it off. And I found a tiny figure of a soldier that someone in the family who originally lived in my house must have put up there. And it reminded me of what Flynn picked up near the end of this episode. So far, so good. No one from the future has come after me, either physically or virtually, but I'll be especially interested in what role that little figure, now in Flynn's possession, has in this unfolding story on the peripheral. By the way, haptic drift, which was the name of the episode, refers to people falling in love, or souls melding, as Flynn is told, when they spend too much time together in cyberspace. And that may be happening with Flynn and Wilf. Well, good for them. They both could use it. By the way, we have haptic feedback in our reality But as far as I know, nothing called haptic drift has been noted when people fall in love in virtual communities like Second Life, anybody remember what that was, or in any metaverse. Otherwise, I'll say again that the southern old boy stuff is not my favorite part of this excellent series, mainly because I've seen one version or another of it too many times before. Also, in general, I'd say Murder by Bee stings is more creative than being locked into a car in the hot sun, Those were two of the deaths that figured in this episode. But I'll put up with those Southern boys because the rest of the series is so good. London in 2100 is one of the most interesting places I've seen on any screen in a while. The idea of placing the physical reality a few years from now any place in the United States and the cyber world, a.k.a. the peripheral, across the Atlantic, well, I thought that works very well because it adds an additional difference to the near-future, far-future physical cyber reality that animates this intriguing story. Let's get on to episode 1.4, in which Lev's tea, that's right, plays a role. Who took Lev's tea? It wasn't my tea. It was the tea of a character in this episode of The Peripheral on Amazon Prime Video, and it was another signalic moment, just like the coffee container materializing in thin air in what now seems like a much earlier episode. The tea gone and the coffee appearing just like that symbolize the immense forces at play, in this so far powerfully rendered series, which, as far as I can tell so far, hasn't missed a step. And remember, I haven't read the book. Everyone, certainly in the near future, is struggling to understand just what's going on. It's not time travel, it's data transfer, Flynn says, after Burton tells her traveling to the future caused her seizure. But Burton is more right than his sister here, since the transfer of data from the future to the present, or the past, depending on how you look at it, is indeed a kind of time travel. Check out Gregory Benford's 1980 Timescape if you don't believe it. By the way, that's a book that I did read. Now, also in the future, Connor wants to know if the data visits to the future come with real bodies. This is another key to what's really going on in the peripheral. As we well know, the bodies in the future are both real and not real. As in countless science fiction stories about cyberspace, the original flesh and blood bodies can be seriously injured if not killed when their avatars in the future are hurt or killed. That in itself makes those entities real enough. And speaking of science fiction entities, I like that android that Charisse is starting to school in the distant future. I especially like how he's able to moderate the percentage of sarcasm in his attitude. That's a, a good quality to have, a good app to have regulating the percentage of sarcasm. That one brief scene, by the way, struck me as one of the best I've seen or read in any android story, including Isaac Asimov's stories back in the 1950s, which are the gold standard of robot and android stories. And last but not least about this episode, and last is an apt word for this, I thought the end of our civilization sequence was top-notch as well. Given the deadly perils we're currently encountering, pandemics, climate change, the resurgence of fascism in the United States and all over the world, I found that very appropriate to be watching, too. Let's get to episode 1.5 of the Peripheral on Prime video. They mentioned an AI therapist, and that really caught my attention in the first few minutes of this episode of the Peripheral. You know, it reminded me of Joseph Weizenbaum's Eliza program at MIT in, what, our late nonfiction 1960s? His program passed the test of being believed to be a human psychologist by subjects who communicated with it and they didn't know they were exchanging information with a cleverly programmed computer. That was an off sided experiment that it was very difficult to tell the difference between humans and AI. This, of course, was years, years before all the current AI voices that speak to us in our cars and homes. They are deliberately made to sound like they're coming from a computer, like they are an AI program. But Weizenbaum's Eliza was not. And I'm not even sure if there were voices in the program. I think they were communicating via text back then. And it was an impressive result in an experiment. Anyway, information is what this episode, uh, and it continues to be an episode in an excellent series, was all about. In one of the best scenes, Flynn explains to her mother that she did not get her medicine from the future. Rather, Flynn got information in the future about how to make this Great Medicine, which in a nice touch was, quote, printed, unquote, that's Flynn's word on a 3D printer. Flynn goes on to travel to the future, informationally, of course, to ask Wilf if he was trying to seduce her via the haptic union they had. And I mentioned earlier in this review, and he either plays dumb or honestly tells her he has no idea what she's talking about. Meanwhile, it becomes palpably clear, once again, that not just information can travel from the future to the past when a car materializes and crashes into the police car carrying that Irish assassin with an okay American accent. But... Did the car that hit the police car really come from the future, just like that coffee container a few episodes back? Or was the car printed in the past, which is more or less the present in the story, and somehow teleported to collide with the police car? And come to think of it, could the coffee have come from a current printer, too? Well, with all those espresso commercials with fancy machines on TV these days with Brad Pitt, somehow the idea of 3D printing coffee doesn't seem that absurd. You know, it's almost enough to get you to a therapist, though an AI therapist in this case likely wouldn't be the best. And speaking of which, the episode ends... Apologies, I forgot to advise you about spoilers. I'll advise you now. There's one coming up. But the episode ends with Flynn's avatar in the future rendering the powerful Charisse into unconsciousness in another fight that they have. So how did Flynn become such a proficient fighter? Maybe she picked up some useful, martial information from the future. And I hope you enjoyed my review of episodes 1.3, 1.4, and and 1.5 of The Peripheral. I'll try to be back soon with my review of the next episode of The Peripheral. That would be 1.6, though maybe I'll wait and do a collection of episodes as in this one. In the meantime, I want to tell you, first of all, uh, about another really exciting project that I'm involved in. Four of my science fiction stories over the years have been published in Amazing Stories. As a matter of fact, my first professional publication was in Amazing Stories back, way, way back in 1992. It was called Albert's Cradle. And then, in the past few years, let's see, I've had three stories published in amazing stories. Slipping Time, a little time travel story, The P&A, an alternate reality story, and The Weather App, Neither alternate reality nor time travel, but uh, I had a lot of fun writing that. Well, I've been invited to write another story for a special new issue of Amazing Stories that will be coming out next year. I think around April, this special issue is going to be devoted to science fiction in our solar system. And the working title for this new issue of Amazing Stories is Saul System. Anyway, what that new story that I'm writing will be is the beginning of a sequel to my 2002 novel, Borrowed Tides. So I'm very, very excited about this. And there is a Kickstarter that's now underway for this new issue of Amazing Stories. I'll have the link to it. In the show notes to this episode of Light On, Light Through, there's a really cool video up there on that Kickstarter page in which some of the titans of science fiction, no longer with us, ranging from Robert Heinlein, Isaac Asimov, Philip K. Dick, Ursula Le Guin, Octavia Butler, I think I saw Mary Shelley there, They are sitting around talking in some, I guess, cyberspace virtual afterlife world apropos of the peripheral. They're sitting around talking about this new issue and how exciting that issue is. So if you'd like to see that, just click on the link in the show notes to this episode and it'll bring you right there. So I also want to once again remind you to please help those brave people of Ukraine fight off the Russian invaders. They recently, the Ukrainians, took back Kherson, an area of their country that had been under the control of the Russian invaders since February, and they still have a lot of Life and death work to do to get the Russians completely out of their country. The Light on Light Through Podcast Athens, twenty forty two AD. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at ThePlotToSaveSocrates.com. Paul Levinson's Silk clothes about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries.